Welcome to the Film Illiterates Podcast, your home for uninformed, unfiltered, ill-advised movie talk by schlubs who should know better. I'm your host, Joe, just Joe, and I'm joined today by Nate Stone. Hey, what's up, everybody? And Alex. Yo, what's going on? So this week, uh, Oscars are are happening. Alex, you excited? Uh, I, I don't know, I guess. Have you yeah. have you seen any of the of the Oscar movies this year, Alex? I don't even know what the nominations are for. I think it's I watched not... Isle of Dogs. That's nominated, right? That's yeah. for best animated film. Yeah, it's oh, like yeah. maybe one or two, but yeah. Okay, yeah, I hope that wins something. Um, I've only seen two of the nominated movies. Honestly, guys, this is the week that everyone's talking about the Oscar nominations, and everyone's all excited for them. We we were planning on doing an Oscars episode. Mm-hmm. And then Nate and I were talking about it, and we're just like, we're, we're not excited about this year's Oscars. I haven't seen very many of the movies that are nominated, and the ones I haven't seen, I'm just not super compelled to really get out and, and, and watch a whole lot. I know. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get on the, the political end or on a soapbox or anything like that, but let's just say like this year for how the Oscars have been planning for the ceremony has been kind of the worst. The fact that they couldn't even get like a single host secured days or even months before and this and this whole like thing i guess that they kind of resolved this past week with like not going to include like four right. of the awards to be aired live like they were going to do those during commercial breaks it's it's just looking really bad on the oscars and so i'm kind of like i'm i'm not really bothered at this point so yeah i heard they cut some some awards which ones did they cut so so there were the big ones they were like best cinematography editing at live action i know and here's the thing thankfully there was a lot there was a committee with a lot of filmmakers like scorsese tarantino spike lee who wrote a petition and got that you know rebuttaled and so basically the oscars are still going to include those during the airtime it's just going to be a longer show but it just comes back to the fact that the oscars is just you know it's it's a it's just a broadcast programming and it's like if i don't know it's like I still watch the Oscars and I still get interested in them. I still have a a a uh, a contest I do every mm-hmm. year with some of you guys, and I, I I'm still into the Oscars. But just yeah. when we looked at this year specifically, we were going to start talking about the Oscars, and I realized like this is going to be the worst episode we've ever done because I <laughs> I like I know we're film literates and we're uninformed and everything. But I'm just—I was just so uninformed to the level that it just—it wouldn't have been an interesting conversation. Yeah, it'd just be pretty much me just listing all my opinions because I've, I've already kind of seen like maybe eighty percent of the films this year. Uh, so what we're gonna do instead is we're gonna have something crazy that I—I I, I thought up today is we're gonna have our first grab bag episode. This—this—this this, this is the equivalent of the in case of emergency break glass uh, <laughs> scenario. So. We've spitballed here just before going on this episode. We spitballed a whole bunch of just random, off the wall, weird ideas, and they could they they range from legitimately interesting conversation topics, all surrounding movies, mm-hmm. to terrible ideas, to reviews of movies that some or all of us may or may not have seen. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, so and, and so, so we, we wrote down a whole bunch of those, and I put them all in a box here, and we're just gonna draw out a few of them over the course of this episode. And I'm gonna keep this box around, and I'm gonna add to it whenever I think of another random topic to add. And yeah. just whenever we have another episode like this, where we just like we 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 have an emergency, we need a topic, we'll do another grab bag episode. So we'll see how this goes. This is our first our first it's emergency the trial run. 
yeah. <laughs> the trial run. Exactly. Or, can, can, can we talk about the trial? Maybe Orson Welles. We trial? already did. I, I know. Thank you. Thanks for asking. We have a video on the trial. Yes, we do. You should check it out, as well as our director spotlight of Orson Welles that we just did uh, last week for exactly. the podcast. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna do that for the second half of the episode. But before we get there, of course, we have what we've watched segment coming up. Oh uh, yeah, our homework. Okay. Very, very oddly. Mm -hmm. uh, so I guess uh, Nate, you wanna go first today? Oh, why don't we let Alex go first this time? Oh, it's, it, he yeah, always kind of too kind. No, yeah, I... it's we always leave him for like the middle or the last <laughs> spot. Let's let him take the head this time. Oh, all right, boy, all right, Alex. What animes funny. have you watched this week? <laughs> oh. Well, okay. I, I mean, last one of the one, a couple podcasts ago, I mentioned I was going to go see a Silent Voice. So I, I, finally, I got to see it's uh, Koino Katachi. It's uh, Silent Voice in theaters. It's um, oh my god! It was it was amazing. So basically, Alex, basically you're a big wet slobbery mess at the very end. Throughout the week, man. Oh. Yeah. It just continued. So it's just like it's just like it was. Yeah, it was one of those movies where it just like it would. It just stayed in my head like for the whole week. I'm just imagining um, Alex basically kind of like hugging his pillow with a, a Ben and Jerry's, just kind of like crying. It's like why? <laughs> no, it's so to give context for the people who aren't familiar with it. It's um, this movie produced in Japan. I think it was by I want to say it was produced by Kyoto Animation, which is a pretty well known studio. Uh, really went on for the like really gorgeous animation. This movie absolutely showcases that. Um, but it's the story of a uh, kid from high school, boy from high school. Um, well, starts in elementary. He, uh, new girl uh, is joins the, joins their class, uh, but she's deaf. And the kind of main character that we're following, this boy, uh, he's kind of the troublemaker. Uh, a bit of a bully as well and for whatever reason he starts he bullies her because she's she's different she can't hear she's weird so he bullies her to the point where she leaves the school and after that point he starts losing a lot of his friends starts kind of losing really kind of his place in the world until he gets to high school and he finally decides to try to find that same girl and try to make amends and become friends with her. And the story kind of follows his path along, you know, meeting up first meeting up with her and trying to make everything right. Um, but it's, it's a really just fantastic movie. Um, the story as it goes along is, can be a little bit hard to follow. Um, I think the director had mentioned that the, that she wasn't, she wasn't too concerned with with specifically making sure everything flowed really well together, but instead focused more on the overall feel and the overall emotion kind of present in each scene in the movie as a whole. Um, so it's yeah, it's honestly just really fantastic. If you can, you know, definitely check it out. I think it's coming to Blu-ray in like April or something like that. But yeah, it's it's so good. The soundtrack is really nice. Um, it's very very minimalistic it's uh mostly just piano it's interesting that we and the way they recorded that they had a microphone and an upright piano um and it caught a lot of the just interior sounds of the piano you know lifting the pedals and all the hammers and stuff like that 
Mm-hmm. So create a very intimate uh, soundtrack. But yeah, it's it was a fantastic movie. Yeah, something that stuck in my head for you know the week on after seeing it. I've heard the English dub is actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I watched the I watched the subtitled one, but I've heard the English dub. It was interesting that they had actually had at the end of the movie they had an interview with the um, uh, voice actors for the uh, the deaf girl for the English dub, mm-hmm. and uh, that was a really cool interview because she the voice actress is, is actually deaf as well, um, or at least hard of hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it, yeah, it was cool just to hear her kind of story of being asked to do the movie and how, you know, how happy she was to do it. But yeah, I mean, <clears throat> Joe, you should check it out. Awesome. I'll have to but, add it to the list. Yeah. Uh, uh, do you have anything uh, else for us? Uh, nothing else I watched. I've been playing a lot of Apex Legends, which is the new Battle Royale game from uh, Respawn, the guys who did Titanfall, which is, I've been playing the hell out of that the spike past two weeks it's been fun time fall is pretty fun i play a little bit of that yeah it's um yeah time fall is one of my favorite games it's kind of one of the first games i just like i 100 percented on playstation <clears throat> but the new apex legends is fun i've never liked a battle royale game like i just never got fortnite i could never i didn't really care for blackout too much i never tried PUBG. but apex legends is really fun in that it's fast paced it's as fast-paced as, like, Fortnite, but it's not, like, weird and goofy and wacky as Fortnite is, which is kind of, like, one of the things that always turned me off on Fortnite. Plus, the building. Was, this, this is just kind of straight gunfights. Uh, you had the, the additions of having different, like, uh, characters with their own unique abilities and stuff like that. And it uh, it makes for a really interesting game yeah, every time, even if you just... Even if you're down, you know, at, right after dropping in. So, uh, I, I, and it's free to play, so you, you kind of have like almost no excuse to not try or try it just just based on that. Well, I mean, I do since the only game system I have is a Super Nintendo and an NES. You have, you have a PC. <laughs> I don't. I don't have a PC. I have a Mac. Oh, it might be on Mac. I don't know. It's on probably not. No, no good games are on Mac. Well, time to get a console or a PC. I'm mean, get a PC. <laughs> uh, you got got anything else, Alex? Nah, that's it. That's all I've been really doing. Cool. Uh, all right, Nate. Now you can you can go. Do you feel good about going now, Nate? I I am feel good. Yeah. Thanks for letting Alex go. You know, I kind of feel like we should have done that a long time ago. Give him like I, I feel like we have though. I like <laughs> I don't, have. If it is, it was long overdue. And it probably happened like maybe five years ago when we first started. No, the podcast. no, like like when, like like since we revived the podcast. I don't know. I'm I'm gonna look back. Uh, tell us in the comments. <laughs> yeah. Let us know if I'm wrong. If Joe's wrong. Uh, anyway, what uh, you got for us, Nate? Okay, so because I was kind of like trying to play catch up with the Oscars, uh, I did go check out that one movie that is nominated for Best Director and Foreign Film, uh, Cold War. It is by the same director who did that one movie a while ago called uh, Ida. Um, He's Polish. So basically the whole movie explores this. It kind of lives up to its name. It's set during the Cold War where these two Polish um, People like one is a composer, one is a peasant girl from the country who becomes like the star singer of this um, kind of like a touring musical troupe where they're going around in like the USSR uh, performing these Polish folk songs. And they, you know, it's a love story about them wanting to be together, but they can't because the Cold War. So he goes and lives in Paris, France, and she decides to join him and it's back and forth. It's typical, you know, love story, but I think what I loved the most about it was the cinematography. 
It reminds me of a lot of like Robert Bresson and a lot of like Jean-Luc Godard, French New Wave films. Like, interesting how the style of it kind of switched. Like, when they're in like you know kind of like Polish land, uh, USSR occupied Polish land. Um, the way they shoot it is very Robert Bresson, very stark, very kind of like empty. A lot of just like still motion. And then when they're going to when they go to Paris and you know they shoot everything there, it's all handheld. Everything is a lot more loose. Everything's a lot more electric. And I like the way this movie was shot. If there was any movie I felt like deserved best cinematography this year, I kind of feel that one is. But I, I think Roma's going to get it regardless. But uh, anyway, I saw that movie and I I enjoyed it. I haven't seen Roma. Or Cold War. Yeah. That shows you that, how that's far big... behind I am. <laughs> exactly. So I didn't want to make you guys feel bad or anything like that. So that's why we're not doing an Oscar episode. Wow. <laughs> I already told you I've seen like 80% of all the movies that are nominated. I, I've seen, out of the Best Picture nominees, I've only seen Black Panther and Black Klansman. That's true. So at least you're representing, you know, the power, you know. <laughs> at least I'm watching them. <laughs> uh, let's see. So the next one I also watched, um, this past week i decided to check out this one movie called before sunrise by director richard linklater one of joe campbell's favorite film directors don't even don't even get me started okay oh but, but you love boyhood so much uh, uh, 12 that. years okay for those who don't know uh just 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 quick aside <laughs> i am not a fan of richard linklater in general i i i liked i've liked a few of his movies i liked uh the the uh, through uh was it a scanner darkly i liked a scanner darkly mm-hmm. and i liked school of rock um oh yeah school of rock's good in, in general though i'm not a fan of link linklater i i did not like boyhood um i do need to see the before trilogy though because yeah. it's in the criterion mm-hmm. collection and everyone tells me it's good and i need to check it out i, I i'm willing yeah. to give him a chance just i haven't been impressed by a lot of what i've seen yeah i mean that's like one thing i would recommend maybe is check out the before trilogy especially this one before sunrise this movie has a young ethan hawk and a young julie Depley just before they were big well-known actors and this the what makes this movie so interesting is like the premise of it is very basic two lovers meet on a train and then for one night they just you know walk around vienna you know exploring and talking and really that's all it is is just these two people talking but it's their conversations it's the dialogue it just feels so organic and that's one thing if anything that richard linklater is good at is letting the dialogue just feel like this is how real people talk real people how they communicate and just some of the stuff in it just feels you know very natural like it should belong in a romantic comedy or just like a romantic story and this was an experiment back in 1995 i believe when they first made this movie and he gave the actors a lot of just you know freedom to kind of like test out the dialogue so this was a a a movie that was not really script bound and that's why it makes i think so much more enjoyable to watch is you just see Ethan Hawke and Julie Depley just becoming these two and it just made it feel really natural. So if anyone was ever looking for like a good Valentine's Day movie, nice, you know, couples movie, highly recommend it. Um, not saying I was like watching this alone or anything, not weird like that. <laughs> wow. Thanks. Thanks for thanks for making this this strange. Yeah, I, 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 that's me making it awkward every step of the way. Um, I, w- I would I would not ask for any any less of you, Nathan. Exactly. <laughs> Um, on top of that, uh, this will be the last thing. I was still doing a lot of reading. I finished up that one book, Universal Harvester, thoroughly enjoyed it. And then I started reading the, the author's like 
previous work that he made before that one called Wolf in White Van. And this is kind of like similar. It, it not I wouldn't say similar as in what the Universal Harvester is, but I kind of liked what Wolf in White Van is kind of doing as far as the premise goes. And it's what the story is about so far is a, a a guy, a kid actually, who created like this, it's I guess you could call it like an interactive role-playing game where you know he sends out you know uh tasks or just steps or clues to people who subscribe to it and he gives them like you know the next action steps based on their you know motives or their decisions and so he kind of creates this like you know business and this following through this kind of like uh, game that he creates called the trace italian but it kind of starts at the very end of the story and it starts working backwards kind of like memento and it's interesting how it starts because it starts with him after he is in recovery from trying to commit suicide after two kids died playing the game. And so it's kind of interesting just seeing how this whole st thing started. And I don't know, it's it's a, a very interesting you know premise to kind of start off. Um, and it kind of like what is good about this author is I like the way he writes relationships and characters within like the family unit. And I don't know, I, I recommend it. It's a very interesting read. I think this guy's proving that he's a lot better than Ernest Klein when he's tapping into that geek culture. Cause the way he writes is I resonate a lot more with it. And being a total nerd, I totally get like a lot of the stuff he's writing and where he comes from. So it's, it's very fascinating. So I'm finishing that book pretty soon. So yeah, I'll have to check more of this guy's stuff. What was the author's name? Uh, it's John Darniel. He is the lead singer of the Mountain Goats. Oh, the Mountain Goats guy. Yeah. yeah. So highly recommend this guy. I, I was not expecting this would be an author. I'd be, you know, following as much as I am right now. And awesome. That's, cool. And that's it for me. Sounds great. All right. So uh, <clears throat> just jumping real quick. So I recently finished watching the TV show Bates Motel for the first time. Oh yay! I I had watched the first, I think, three seasons all the way through before, and recently, since the show has ended, I decided to go back and rewatch the first three episodes, uh, the first three seasons, and then finish uh, the last two. So I watched all five seasons over the course of a few months, uh, and that this is the last Psycho-related property I haven't hadn't seen yet, actually. Hmm. And I gotta say, I I really enjoyed it. I, I it, it's it's I think if you're going to do a reboot slash prequel to a property this is the way to do it the easiest way for me to talk about this is comparing it to star trek discovery which is another show going on that i think is trying to do a similar sort of thing where star trek discovery wants to be a prequel within the canon timeline of star trek because it wants to be something that fans will latch on to saying oh this is old school star trek but in reality, what it wants to be is a reboot. The people who are making Star Trek Discovery don't care about canon. They just want to make their own brand new show where they can do whatever they want to. But they hurt themselves by trying to say it's in canon. So they got to backtrack on things and explain why things are different. And it's just a huge mess. Yeah. Bates Motel bypasses this entirely by saying it's a prequel. But it's a prequel to a psycho that can go anywhere we want to so it's playing off your idea of you know about norman bates you know about him and his mother and he runs the base motel so when the show starts you know that it's going to end somewhere around where psycho is you don't know how they're going to finish the show when it when it starts but, but it's it's not a straight up prequel though it's set in modern day they change a lot of things like his backstory of his relationship with his mother and his father and everything so it's it's a loose prequel but it's also a reboot and I, I love that they did that because it leaves themselves open to 
to so many different storytelling ideas. They're free to play around with the mythology. As long as they get to somewhere around what you recognize as Norman Bates from the original Psycho, they're fine. And yeah. it works for me. Have, have you seen the show, Nate? Yeah, no, I think when you first started watching it, I kind of was uh, on board with it, with watching the first two seasons. And I have to admit, like, I kind of do agree with you. It's it's definitely doing its own thing, but still keeping to the lore of what made just Psycho so intriguing to the fan base. And, and you being a huge, you know, Hitchcock and Psycho fan, I remember you actually just being very much on board with this, like the new characters that they're introducing and seeing, because really that's what it's exploring is, we know where he's going to end, let's see how he gets there. And I think that's the whole intrigue that we kind of get as we're watching this. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I love about Base Motel is that it leaves itself open to do whatever it wants down the road. And season five, I'm not going to, to, to spoil it, uh, but but season five does this really interesting thing where it goes where I didn't think they were going to go. I thought that Bates Motel was going to end around the time that he that that Norman kills Norma Bates. As if you've seen Psycho, you know that's where it has to go. And I thought that they were going to end there and just leave it open to, and then Psycho will happen in the future. But season five forges on ahead. I think it's one of the strongest seasons of the show. I think in fact season five has some moments I think it's, that it's just legitimately great television which is actually very rare for any kind of series because usually you start losing people at the fifth season so yeah and and, and they tie everything up it's, it tells a complete story it's interesting because they cover a lot of the ground from psycho in their own way so for instance marianne crane makes an appearance sam loomis makes an appearance but they're all in service of the story that they've set up up until this point so 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 this i mean the the story of quote-unquote psycho only really lasts about two episodes in the middle of the season. And Marion Crane is out of the story uh, after those two episodes, and they keep going on and doing their own thing, and they conclude the whole story of the, the Bates legacy. And it's fascinating, and it's, and it's very well done. They do a convincing job of, of showing us how Norman Bates went from this kind of disturbed kid from the first episode to full-on psycho in the last episode. And the, the root of that is really his relationship with Norma Bates and the performances are fantastic all around. The show isn't perfect. It, it lulls a little bit, I think, around season three, and it gets bogged down in some side plots. But they end up wrapping up all those uninteresting filler side plots and bring the characters that are important from those subplots into the main narrative a little bit more. And everything kind of comes around full circle, and it concludes very satisfyingly in season five. So in, in general, I would, I, would, I would recommend Base Motel to fans of psycho and the, the whole psycho legacy cool yeah one thing i'll just talk about real quickly i showed my daughter the rescuers and the rescuers done under recently oh, oh nice. man that takes <laughs> me back <laughs> yeah now so, so my daughter is three years old she's almost four and she had seen the rescuers done under once before but it was long enough ago that i don't know how much of it she remembers but it's interesting watching these two movies back to back for me because I didn't grow up with the rescuers. I only grew up with the rescuers down under. Same, actually. I do kind of remember that. And Weird. it's like, you know, which is kind of like you start off with rescuers down under and you're just like, oh my gosh, it's so cool. It's action packed. And you just introduced to these characters for the first time, which they do a good job, like even though they're from, you know, the original movie. And then you watch the rescuers. And it's so toned down because obviously it came out at, at, at a different era. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, The Rescuers is a fine little movie. I, I watched it maybe once as a kid, and it left very little impression on me. Yeah, but it's I, and it's, it's got a few scary sequences. There's, there's a sequence where the the little girl Penny has to 
pry a diamond out of a skull. Because it's in a cave that's like, you know, as the tide comes in, it starts like filling it up. So it's like it's 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 time against the elements at that point. And she's prying a diamond out of a fucking skull in oh, a Disney that, movie. Yeah. Uh, so I bet but, but the, the, the first movie is OK. It's it's a fine little movie, but it's, it's just it's always it will always live in the shadow of the rescuers down under. Guys, honestly, mm-hmm. rescuers down under is a competitor for my favorite Disney movie. In fact, I, I feel fairly confident saying right now, I think this is my favorite animated Disney movie. I mean, uh, honestly, it's like when you start off with a, an opening credit sequence where you're just like soaring across like the landscape of the Australian continent with that music just railing in your ears like that. It, it's just, come on, it just, you get pumped up. Nate, Nate, Nate. What? No, what? Never, oh. never, never do that again, please. Am I, am I offending some Aussies right now? I, I probably you're offending everybody <laughs> okay fine i'll go back to eat my kangaroo uh it's 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 it, though it, it is a beautiful movie and the the animation oh, yeah. style just the stark difference between mm-hmm. the rescuers and the rescuers down under like the rescuers the rescuers looks kind of i don't know coarse by comparison the art style whereas mm-hmm. the rescuers down under i believe it's the first movie to be completely animated in a computer actually from beginning to end because they drew the uh, the animation, scanned it into a computer, and then colored it in and drew over it in a computer. And it looks absolutely beautiful. It's epic, man. And it's all in service of this rousing, thrilling adventure movie. And a big part of what makes this movie so great, and what makes it, I think, my favorite Disney movie is a com- competition with Pinocchio and Beauty and the Beast. But I, I think Rescuers Down Under has both of those beat for me. Mm-hmm. Is McLeach, the villain, voiced oh, yes. by George C. Scott. He is the villain that, that, that I always hold up as a shining example of what villains in kids' movies should be. And an example of why you can make dangerous, perilous <laughs> situations for kids in movies. Like this guy tries to feed the kid to crocodiles oh my gosh by yes. shooting a rope with a, a this shotgun or this rifle or whatever and I, i'm i'm watching this movie i'm just I'm just like kids like a good thrill and i i think i think i think it's 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 good to put kids in peril in movies and i think that kids will appreciate it more in the long run i think if you neuter things a little bit too i mean, I mean you don't want to go too far obviously yeah but if yeah, you neuter things yeah. if you neuter things too much though like it, it's it's not going to have the same kind of effect on the kids and they're not going to remember it I, and it's not going to scar them as much yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of course. Yes, because that's what we're about to do is scar children. Yeah, 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 yeah. No one's gonna get scarred from kids turning into donkeys from Pinocchio. It's, oh my gosh! And that being one of your favorite Great. movies, Joe. So yeah, we already kind of know where you were coming from. So Rescuers Down Under, uh, high praises for that movie. I absolutely love it. Last movie I'm going to talk about briefly, and Nate, you might have something to say about this too. Is mm-hmm. I got to the theater and I saw. The new Robert Rodriguez joint, Alita Battle Angel. Now, can we call it a Robert Rodriguez or it should be a Robert Rodriguez slash James Cameron? Because James Cameron was pretty much helming this project up until like the last few years when they actually started filming it. I, so I think that's fair. Yeah. I But I, I, I do think that this is unarguably a Robert Rodriguez movie as well, though. Like I, I see the James Cameron influences, but I would say just as much as it's a James Cameron movie, it is equally also a Rodriguez movie. Like mm-hmm. like both of their handprints are all over this movie. Yes, mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, just because like, you know, you can see it in just the story. You can see in the adaptation that, yeah, this is something that a James Cameron picture would have. Strong female character, um, high concept sci-fi universe, this world building. 
And then it has those Rodriguez moments that we love about Rodriguez, you know, off the wall, just action sequences that just go from one thing to the next. And yeah, yeah so, 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 so this movie is based on a manga, which I haven't read. Mm -hmm. And if I have one complaint about this movie now, as first off, I, I love this movie. For, mm -hmm. for, for me, this is my kind of popcorn entertainment. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it felt like a kind of an early to mid 2000s sci-fi action spectacle, but one of the better ones. So it's mm -hmm. like, you know, I put it in the same category as something like, it's going to sound bad, but the G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra, but like a really good version of that kind of movie. Yeah. Like, one of those, like one of those movies that, that, that relies on big set pieces and lots of CGI effects and uh, a little bit of banter between the characters. But this one is taking that formula and honing it down to an art form almost. Yeah, actually, I want to comment something about this because, you know, one thing that I was always hesitant about this movie is how well it's going to adapt into a, you know, for Western audiences. Because the one of the few things we've seen in the past that Hollywood has tried and failed countlessly is adapting manga and anime into a, uh, you know, action movies like Ghost in a Shell, that bombed, Eon Flux, that bombed. Um, this one, we have yet to see what, you know, its end result's going to be. But so far from what I've seen, I thought- Doing well at the box office. It is. And I think what just made it work so well is I think- the, the splitting of the creative powers of that where you know james cameron wanting to do this project for a long time having it in development for so long but then letting rodriguez do his magic to make it work because i think when you get down to it it's cyborgs battling cyborgs and motorball racing and there, there's a lot of stuff in here where it's like it's fun and one thing that rodriguez has always been great at doing is just making those action sequences fun to watch the cgi doesn't do the whole uncanny valley effect it's not going for realism when you think about it um even like the main character like you know she, it, with her the, the giant anime eyes and just kind of like the weird proportions of her face it's like it, it's at a certain point you get past that and you start to embrace like yeah this is fun this is going to be entertaining and i think that's one thing i think rodriguez just brought to the table is he just made it really entertaining to go along with it if, if, if i have one complaint about the movie it's it's easy to see where the seams are between uh storytelling elements that were probably divided up into multiple books mm -hmm. uh for instance there's there's character i think there's one guy zatan is who's a, a bounty hunter Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to find out that his his whole story is contained in one book, and then mm -hmm. maybe the maybe the motorball stuff is contained in another book because mm -hmm. it, it feels like a whole bunch of kind of mini stories strung together, but they string together very well. I'm not saying that it, that 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 it, it necessarily hurts the movie a whole lot, but it's one of the few things where watching it you can kind of see, oh, okay, this it's 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 a little strung out, but the movie itself is very entertaining. I think Rodriguez brings his own weird flair to it uh mm -hmm. so, so, so some of the stuff that you've seen from from dust till dawn desperado mm -hmm. and even spy kids some of the weird goofy stuff from spy kids he brings all that in here but it's it's restrained enough that it's palatable to mainstream audiences but at the same time you have cyborgs ripping each other in half and uh you, you got a cowboy with robot dogs and all this kind of strange stuff you have at, at one point there's you know there's like people getting sliced in half and like a severed head and everything and you're watching all this and you just it's it's i think it's crazy that this movie got away with the pg-13 it's must have been borderline r making this well, movie well well honestly that was like one thing i was uh, looking at a lot of people reviewing this movie is i think that's one reason why they got away with so much of it because when you realize they're cyborgs slashing up cyborgs 
the content's like a little bit more passable. But I think Joe, like as you, all the stuff you're listing off is why I think Robert Rodriguez is such a, a key component to this because even just the whole environment, this whole Iron City, it feels like something came out of a Rodriguez movie. Just everything from like it's the street alleyways to you know the um, uh, the mech shops. There's something about the aesthetic appeal that I feel like it just feels so Rodriguez. Oh no, yeah, I agree. I, I, th I think Rodriguez had just just, just the right scrappy touch. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it, like 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 if you watch something like Desperado, which I just watched recently, mm -hmm. uh, which really plays into kind of the grit and the dirt of Mexico and these mm -hmm. these outlaws, you know, running around in the and the the, the the sketchy bars and all all that, you know, you know the, the gunslingers on the fringe of, of civil society, you know, I, 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 this movie plays into that a lot. And there's a lot of that kind of aesthetic throughout this movie. And I think that's what makes it so memorable and worthwhile for mm -hmm. Rodriguez. I think, I think, I think that's, I think that's, I think that's what his touch brings to this movie. There's a shot early on, which I thought was a perfect blending of Rodriguez and James Cameron's touch, which was where Christoph Waltz is walking through this, this junkyard basically and it's this big shot of him just kind of picking through the trash. And in the background, there are these giant machines just scooping through the trash. And it's the sense of scale and kind of scrappiness, but also sci-fi wonder that I thought, all right, all right, I get what this movie is doing. I'm on this movie's wavelength and I am in. Oh, it is so fun to watch. So, Alex, we mm -hmm. recommend you check this movie out. Ace. All right. Yeah, I, I highly recommend Alita Battle Angel. I would love to see a sequel to this. This movie teases a sequel. I would love to see Rodriguez get another crack at this. Disney, please listen. <laughs> yes, I mean, I one thing I loved about this movie were all the cameos that appeared throughout the movie. Yeah, I will say, uh, keep an eye out for Robert Rodriguez regulars. Michelle Rodriguez is mm -hmm. in the movie, Cheers. as well as Jeff Fahey. But um, I've sadly no Danny Trejo cameo, at least that I noticed. I know. I honestly, I kind of feel like he could have like made it somewhere into the motorball sequence as one of <laughs> as one of the racers. He could have. I and that would have that would have just been the topping on the cake for me. Yeah. She's the last of her kind. She contains technology that have been lost for three hundred years. Let me show you something. This body, I feel a connection to it. I can't explain. You know more about me than you're saying. Alita, some things are better left forgotten. And I'll find out for myself. So anyway, uh, that concludes the What We've Watched segment. So now we're going to move on to the main attraction, our grab bag episode. This is, I'm very curious to see how this is going to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I have here the box of uh, randomized category <laughs> i was gonna say you actually wrote these down on paper i wrote these down on paper i have an actual physical box oh there you go keeping <laughs> authenticity into it uh you shake this up you guys ready sure let's do this ready as i'll ever be all right so i'm gonna set a timer so we, we're gonna have 10 minutes to talk about this and the topic is top three movies that take place in an office <laughs> Now, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna claim office space just right off the bat well that's <laughs> that, that's that's cheating already man 
I mean, if you want to talk about great office space scenes, let's let's talk about Neo in his cubicle office from The Matrix. I think that continues to be one of the great office space, you know, sequences. You know, actually, actually, when you think about talk about uh, action movies that take place in an office, the one the, the one that <laughs> pops to mind first is uh, Wanted, the, the James McAvoy oh, yeah. movie. Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh. Yeah. Have, 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 have you guys seen that? Yep. It was actually an early Chris Pratt role. I forget about that. He That's actually right. <laughs> he gets decked by james mcavoy oh yeah <laughs> i didn't think of that <laughs> oh star lord gets punched hit, by hit, james hit, McAvoy. Hit with, a, hit with a, a keyboard yeah and <laughs> and that that's the sort of movie i mean it's not i mean the whole thing isn't set in an office but mm -hmm. but when you think of like movies with office scenes in them uh that's certainly the one of the first ones that comes to mind especially uh, spoilers for wanted Mm -hmm. uh at, at the end with the the sniper shot that goes through morgan freeman and it traces it back from like miles away uh-huh uh but it, it, it's 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 interesting because when i wrote down this topic i wasn't thinking about any office movies in particular i just thought oh movies that take place in an office but it's weird to me that wanted was one of the first ones that pops into my head mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i think if uh i'll, I'll kind of go back to what i said i think the one office you know scenes that always sticks out to me has always been um neo trying to escape from the agents um, in the matrix, I think just how they shot that scene with him trying to, you know, go from one cubicle to the next and, you know, going off of Morpheus's instructions and having that, you know, leap of faith and trust where he's, he's just trying to make this work and trying to escape. I don't know the way it shot that office, just how vast and wide and just empty and bleak it was. It still sticks in my mind. That's actually interesting that, that thing about, thing of other examples, uh, the Incredibles is another one that pops into my head mm -hmm. is that they, they, they use office situations to, to highlight the, the bland, the banal, the, the, the daily grind of life. Like the you never see, you never see an office shot to be, you know, something that's exciting. <laughs> well, unless like if you're talking about Wolf of Wall Street. I was going to mention that one too, yeah. yeah. That's true. I think that absolutely goes on the list. Top, top top three movies. Wolf of Wall Street is absolutely on there. I mean, there's a lot of office scenes, scenes in it, but in each of the scenes, it's like it, there's just a lot of energy, a lot of craziness happening in it. There's a lot of just like primal, just aggression. It's like, yeah, it's like, and that's kind of like another prime example, you know, when Leo is trying to get everyone all riled up with his pep talk and getting them all doing the chant. It's, I guess, still sticks in a lot of people's minds who've seen the movie. Yeah. Um, as a good office scene. You know, uh, good one is uh, uh, much less exciting. Mm -hmm. Well, at least kind of. Yeah, margin call was really good. It was like the twenty-four hours, like kind of of the starting of the like the financial crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, oh yeah, that was really cool. I it's 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 I would assume it'd be like it's not as like exciting in that like it's just all like really like a lot of like technical talk. Mm -hmm. But when I watched it, knowing pretty much nothing about really what they're talking about like all the technical stuff i'm just like i was just so enthralled and like everything that was going on and just it did a really good job of building so much tension from guys staring at computers trying to figure out what the hell's going on mm -hmm. it's so and it's got a really good cast too now i'm going to mention two movies just right off here that i i, I don't know if you guys have seen uh but they're kind of notable examples one is it's it's in the loop the peter capaldi movie mm -hmm. yeah yep, that's yeah. a good one okay yeah. I, I mean i mean i mean that was technically a, a political movie but they're still in offices right yeah i know and I, honestly it's pretty much like the you know uh greg daniels is the office but with you know 
a foul language every oh, minute. The dialogue in that so the dialogue in, in the loop is next level. Or, or should I say Pierre Capaldi's delivery of the dialogue <laughs> yes. is next level. <laughs> oh my gosh. He just watching him going from England to America and just back again, just this crass Scottish you know, diplomat is just doesn't give a fuck about anything. I mean, he doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't give a fuck about <laughs> anything. And I'm just like degrading, insulting everyone left and right, whether they're personal to him, you know, someone he has to work with, or even just a random US citizen. He just passes on the street. It's like, oh gosh, this is just. What struck me about it was how it's just, you know, people clean cut British people in suits <laughs> and just like the most vulgar stuff comes out of their mouths mm. the entire movie. Oh, you know what? I've got another great one that was that was a, that's takes place in an office in a whole in a whole office building. It's Die Hard. Oh yeah, <laughs> technically I, technically counts. Yeah, I guess it can. I guess it can. Yeah, it's office. You know, it's it's a whole office building. It takes mm -hmm. place entirely in the office. Yeah, it's, technically it's, it's you're right. Office. Yeah. Yeah. It's I an guess it, Christmas party. It is. <laughs> well, actually, it's not. It's not office Christmas party. That's another movie. <laughs> office Christmas party. Yep. <laughs> Which I have not seen. Uh, it honestly, the trailer makes it look a lot better than it actually was. Oh man. Uh, speaking of recent movies, though, I, this one I doubt you guys have seen is the Belko Experiment. I remember that one. It was written by James Gunn, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so the Belko experiment is uh, about a a bunch of people just 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 working in this this office building, and all of a sudden the office building goes in on lockdown, and a voiceover loudspeaker tells everyone in the office that they've got, uh, I guess, bombs implanted in their heads, and if they don't kill each other off, then then they'll start blowing up basically. So, so, so basically, it's battle royale in an office. Pretty much, okay. yeah. If, if if you just say straight up office movies. This movie will probably pop into my head first, right after uh, Office Space, you know, because mm -hmm. Office Space is like the office movie. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I'll think, oh, the Belco Experiment, which is Battle Royale in, in an office building, because it's all about so what, what can you kill your, your, your neighbor with, with office supplies? <laughs> Just whatever they have on hand within the office and how things can go from boring daily grind to a thousand in a second. Here's so, another one that might be not technically. What about a guy walking between two office buildings? Mm, mm -hmm. man, on, man on wire. Oh, <laughs> you're, you're, you're stretching it. <laughs> yeah, you're really stretching. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. You're stretching the wire on that one, Alex. You're walking that thin line between office movies. It's <laughs> terrible. Yeah, just, just stop, Joe. Just stop. Let's go on to the next one. What have we done? All right. All right. All right. All right. Let's, 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 let's move on to a new topic. Yeah. Uh, Let's see what we got here. Is anime a genre or a medium? Ooh, it's a I'm medium. A, yeah, I was going to let you go first, Alex, with that one. But yes, I would have to say it is a medium. It's pretty much its own art form at this point. Yeah, because you have, there are genres within anime. Uh, mm -hmm. There is, you know, there's there's all the, you know, every kind of genre that there is, that there exists. It's, mm -hmm. There's that in, in, in anime. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say maybe not so. It's. I was gonna say I've never really seen a western, but then you have stuff like Trigun. Yeah, I was gonna say Trigun yeah. and Cowboy Bebop in a certain way is kind of like a cyber western. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so yeah, you do have every sort of genre in anime. It's so yeah, it's it's definitely a me. It's definitely a medium. 
Yeah, I think when it first started off, obviously there was only so much, you know, different genres of stories being told in anime form. This was like way, way back mm -hmm. in the 80s. But I think anyone who's fans or even just followers of anime will recognize as its own medium as an art form. So yeah, it, there are there. I mean, there are certain like trappings and stuff like that that will that you'll find present in, in anime that you won't necessarily find in, mm -hmm. let's just say, like Hollywood movies and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So in itself, it's that's this good. You know, it, it does make a good argument that it, whether or not it's a medium or it's a genre because it almost can be its own genre but overall yeah it's it's definitely its own medium because you do have other every other kind of genre present within that and you know i almost kind of want to actually ask you alex this kind of is going off like off this tangent of thought um do you think maybe because it is its own it's considered its own medium maybe that's the reason why it's been so hard to adapt it in for like an American audience, um, kind of like, for example, like with Ghost in the Shell, even like Alita Battle Angel, like it's just so hard to adapt it because there's something that's lost within that adaptation. Um, possibly. Yeah, because I, I, in, in my opinion, there's a certain aesthetic that anime just brings to the story that when you try to adapt it for live action, it, there's just something that maybe it doesn't resonate with audiences here. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think part of also why it's not as majorly um popular in like in like in the west um it's just because it's it's its own thing it's mm -hmm. it, it's it's different than the animation that you know we'll just take the us of course as, as as an example here um but it's it's different than all the other all the animation that we've had in the us it's it's pretty vastly different so i think it's just something that American audiences aren't really accustomed to seeing, and so it's different. Mm -hmm. Everyone and it kind of it can have its own like stigma and, and whatnot um, mm -hmm. against it, which is really unfortunate because you know there are I mean there's there's dumb anime yeah that oh yeah f fully you know supports the stigma, but then there's there's so much good stuff about it too. I mean mm -hmm. I was talking about Koyana Katachi earlier, but there's so many like incredible movies and and series and whatnot um mm -hmm. i mean i was recently thinking about how or we watched a video or something about about how uh anime movies have been completely snubbed at like oscars and, and the, uh, the oscars and whatnot unless studio Ghibli makes a movie you know, a film yeah that and that's actually another thing is like you know it's kind of some people who are you know fans of anime will sometimes mm -hmm. consider miyazaki films not really anime at all like they consider them their own type of animation like its own medium itself and so it's just interesting, like, once again, to that conversation, how it starts, you know, people start segmenting up a lot more. But you're right. There is something that it's it's harder for a Western audience to reach out or even just to categorize. I, th I think it's stupid that, that that this even has to be uh, considered controversial, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean it, it bugs me when people just write off anime completely as, oh, you know, I don't watch those animes. They're too weird. And I, I'm just thinking, like, there's so much variation within that. It's, yeah. it's not like yeah. all animes are, are, are the same. I mean, you can't compare The Wind Rises mm -hmm. to uh, uh, what's 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 that one with the giant face robots? Uh, Gurren Lagann. Oh, oh. Gurren Lagann. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like like th those are completely different things. One is a grounded war story. The other one is an over the top action comedy. 
Yeah. And yeah. I guess, I guess where I was kind of going with that uh, question for you, Alex, is like, maybe that's something that the West needs to stop doing. So, so here's an example. So just recently, you know, um, Netflix acquired the property for Death Note to, you know, adapt yeah. that from, you know, the anime into a live action, you know, film for uh, Netflix. And it's very divided because while there are some good things that were in, you know, in that adaptation, there's a lot of things that they changed or had to change that a lot of people who are fans of the original anime hated. And so maybe instead of just trying to go through that effort of just trying to adapt into live action, maybe just bring over the actual anime property instead. I don't know. That's instead yeah. of like kind of trying to fight it. Why don't you just like try to introduce the West a lot more to it? That's yeah. just a, a thought. I, I I agree with that. I mean, I mean, I know the vast majority of the anime community was very was not happy with the adaptation mm -hmm. just because it went off and did its own thing and it didn't do it it didn't do it very well from what I've heard mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think I, I feel like I feel like a lot of like the people who don't like anime or just don't don't want to get it. Uh, it's like it's like they've seen like one like super off the wall like super moe series or something like that and they're mm -hmm. like yeah it's all the same it's all just this bunch well of even games. even more so like even in japan itself like they've done like actual live action adaptations of their own you know mm -hmm. anime or manga properties example yeah. um they've done like a live action version of uh attack on titan a live action version of a uh, full metal alchemist yeah. and i've seen like you know those films and i don't know it's just there's something that just doesn't feel right about it where i look at the anime it's like this there's something that's pure and you know great about this so why go through all that effort just to adapt it for live action and so i don't know yeah and it seems like the, one, the ones that they try to adapt are always like they're really like the ones with a lot of i don't know the ones that would take like a lot of cgi and stuff like that yeah and the cgi just doesn't translate very well yeah exactly it's like you can go with something way more grounded way more just like real life stuff and have it adapted it, or it'd be easier to adapt mm -hmm. um, exactly just based visually but yeah they always go for like the really crazy stuff um, i know yeah it, i think just bringing over like a lot of the best stuff i think that was kind of what or bring the best stuff to like the to the U.S. I think that's kind of what they were doing with like showings of going to Katachi um, mm -hmm. and, and similar movies and whatnot, and trying to trying to get people to understand that it's it's there's there's really a, there's a lot to it. There's you know there's a lot to the medium. Yeah. Uh, give us our live action, the uh, Grave of the Fireflies. <laughs> yeah, well, there there is an actual live action version of the Grave of the Fireflies. Actually, is there really? There is. Yeah, if you want to, I'll I'll, I'll post a link or something like that in this podcast, and people can go watch it somewhere online. Awesome. People can get traumatized live action as well as animated now, and awesome. we can just get Alex hating that kid even more. Yeah, more. man, man, holy oh, kid. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last topic is how to properly represent AI in movies. What? <laughs> I don't well, know what I thought when I wrote this. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean... Okay, okay. what are some good examples of representing uh, AI in, in movies? Chappie. Chappie? That's a, I don't know, I've never seen Chappie. I would say that's a terrible <laughs> example of, of an AI being represented in a movie. I mean, honestly, if you're, if you're thinking about an, an AI, like a good example of an AI, I, I always kind of thought um, Ex Machina was just a really good example of just, you know, how yeah. they, they can make, you know, technology and use CGI very well 
to represent that and not get so in, into the uncanny valley effect. Um, yeah. But then again, that comes down to like, you know, what is the um, entertainment value that you're trying to bring to the story? With something like Ex Machina, you're trying to go with realism. You're trying to show that it is quite possible to start portraying AIs as close to human beings as you can. So I don't know. I mean, the first thing that did come to my mind when I was thinking that was, you know, Ex Machina and how I remember watching that movie and just being blown away with just the amount of detail with just doing the CGI for um, that girl. And it was just like, wow, we've come a long way. And this is how you can properly do it i i think some of the best examples of artificial intelligence in movies take your your, your understanding of what artificial intelligence should be which is uh, you know your your google assistant your siri anything like that where mm. you talk to it it talks back it doesn't have any real sentient thought behind it it just it it it, it gives you the predictable uh, algorithmic dialogue that you're expecting, mm -hmm. and I think that I think I think movies that do AI really well take that understanding of artificial intelligence and ask the question, but what if it's more? So something like HAL nine thousand in mm -hmm. you know two thousand one Space Odyssey. Everyone knows that it's supposed to be this just this this, this computer, this emotionless computer that does its own thing, mm -hmm. but HAL is something more, and the people and, and two thousand one Space Odyssey is about the characters discovering that tragically over the course of the movie. Right. Or uh, a less morbid example is Her by Duncan oh, Jones. Oh, yeah. no, it's a Spike Jones, but yeah, Spike Jones, that, yeah. Duncan, that, Jones. Duncan Jones. Yeah, it's like you're, you're mixing up your Joneses there, Joe. Uh, but Spike but, Jones, yeah. Yeah, but that's actually another good example because what that movie is exploring is like not only how dependent we are on those kinds of IEIs, but how much we can still be convinced that they are the next best thing to a perfect human being. Um, I was just revisiting that movie just a few days ago, just thinking about it. Cause I, I remember seeing that movie in 2014 and just being just amazed. Like they built a whole movie on just this guy talking to his AI and that's really all it is. But after a while you are convinced that this AI is a real person. And it's kind of like, it's taking that next step, uh, Joe, as you were mentioning, what how 3000 from 2001 a space odyssey was doing and bringing it, almost like it's just you're it's bringing it to life in a way that like it's not real but it's probably realer than anything that we've ever seen and that's doing the same thing where it's it's it's, it's taking our preconceived notions of ai especially in a modern day context of oh it's just a, just a digital assistant on our phones mm -hmm. and saying but what if it's something more what if yep. it's an actual person with feelings mm -hmm. with romantic attachments mm -hmm. and I, I i think i think the movies that tackle ai uh, successfully do that very well. I, 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 it's interesting that you mentioned Alita uh, in this context because I would even struggle to think of that as an as an artificial intelligence movie because mm -hmm. they, they seem like I mean a, a lot of them I a lot of the, the cyborgs in that movie I think are just people in robot bodies that, but Alita herself it's questionable of like she's basically a human being in a robot body essentially. Well, uh, and and that's a that's a huge uh, uh, endeavor that they're trying to do with that is like okay this. This this character who's completely mocap in CGI. It's not like it really like the actress was kind of remodeled from the ground up for that role, um, and it's like you have to be convinced that this is an actual person that you need to be emotionally invested in all the way through, and that's a huge undertaking at times. Well, yeah, and you mentioned Ex Machina earlier. I think that's an excellent example of, mm -hmm. of, of that kind of artificial intelligence, also because that's mm -hmm. the whole question of that movie is. Uh, what is Alicia Vikander's character in that movie? Is she something more or is mm -hmm. she not? Is she a malfunctioning 
uh, robot or is she an actual sentient being on her own? Well, and, and it's also going to that extra level of what how 3000 was is that, you know, this is not only just, you know, something that you can program to think, but it can actually have its own agenda and actually manipulate you to think for its own, you know, ends. And at the very end, you know, where you see her blend in with everybody, it's kind of just a, a very harrowing, you know, shot that AIs could easily blend in with anyone and we would never even know. And I think that continues to be a, a fascinating conversation. Hello, Caleb. Do you have a name? Yes. Ava. I'm pleased to meet you, Ava. I'm pleased to meet you, too. I've never met anyone new before. Only Nathan. Then I guess we're both in quite a similar position. Haven't you met lots of new people before? None like you. Hmm. So we need to break the ice. Do you know what I mean by that? Yes. What do I mean? Overcome initial social awkwardness. Do you have any any any, any examples you can think of, Alex, off the top of your head? Uh, I robot. I robot. I guess. Oh, that's a, that's another one too, actually. I I mean I mean it's it's a, it's a very stripped down kind of. Uh, uh, very simplified version of it, but it is. It, it, I mean, I mean, iRobot is an action movie at its heart, but yeah. it is, but it is asking those questions. Well, I think yeah. Joe, it also it's it's kind of going off of because you've read the the actual book, you know, iRobot from Peter Ospinoff, right? Well, uh, uh, puts on nerd glass, pushes up nerd glasses. Yes, I have. <laughs> and the movie is not based on the book iRobot so much as it's based on the other Isaac Asimov book, The Caves of Steel, okay, which but... is a detective story with decker in it well either way um the fact that this you know if we let's if we if we navigate if we deviate from movies for a minute and just go into literature you know peter ospinoff did explore those questions about ai's coming to a point where you know how should they exist or coexist with humanity and you know is it possible for them can they be trusted you know that was stuff he was questioning and exploring a lot of his works early on right it, it, it was and 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 a uh, not AI. <laughs> uh, iRobot was uh, all about these these robots were given you know the, the the laws of robotics and how they can operate within that context. But the the novel iRobot is a series of short stories spanning across uh, centuries of human history with robots operating under these laws and how the robots kind of circumvent those laws. Mm -hmm. by still working within them basically mm -hmm. finding the loopholes within the laws throughout the course of, of history and it starts very simple from the beginning to super complex towards the end and uh, i i would just i would just like to take one moment though to, uh nate did you just call isaac as asimov peter osmanov i, I was gonna say i was like i was gonna do a bit as a new bit pushes nerd glasses up further. Yeah, actually, yeah, actually, actually. Yeah, thank you for calling me out on that. We I, 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 know who the real literate here is. We just, all know who the real literate. I just wanted to clarify that because for a second there, I thought you were talking about an, an author that I hadn't heard of before. I'm like, why well, you look up Peter Osmanov? I was like, wait a second. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm confusing my names. Well, wasn't uh, wasn't it also based on um, Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, or is that another? Well, that's a. a Philip Dick, and he he. Oh, you know, the, that's it. Yeah, yeah, and, which I haven't read. Right. Oh, wait, I have read. Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> and honestly, that's why actually where I was kind of lead into that is that's another perfect example of AIs in you know this human context is Blade Runner. 
you know, based off of um, do androids dream of electric sheep? And he's exploring that as well as like, how can we tell if these AIs are even, you know, trusting or are they even close to human? And I, I mean, I don't know. Have you guys, you guys have seen uh, the recent um, Blade Runner 2049, right? I have, yes. Okay, but I love how it continues to further that conversation to the point where these replicants are basically just now ingrained so much in society, but they're enslaved to society that they have to abide to a code and they can't break off of that. It's, I mean, it's a gorgeous movie but, and very long as well, but it still explores those same themes of what it means to be human. Like, can we even take that humanity for granted anymore when there's nothing left human about the world? Yeah, I think for me, the, the, the artificial intelligence movies that I like the most are the ones that just kind of take the rote artificial intelligence, the kind of stuff like the, the ship's computer in Star Trek, the original mm -hmm. Star Trek series, mm -hmm. and take something like that and pushes it farther within the context of its world and makes characters kind of have to figure out, oh, this thing is actually intelligent, is actually alive. My phone actually has a romantic attraction to me. The, <laughs> the ship's computer is actually trying to kill me because it holds resentments against me. Yeah, Those are the ones that interest me the most. Or there's a Colossus, the Foreman project, which is about, oh, we built a supercomputer that can harnesses all of our nuclear weapons. Oh, it actually has an agenda against humanity. <laughs> yeah. I think actually some of the most interesting content out there that exists about AIs is also the ones where it shows, even though we build supercomputers like this, they're still not reliable. Uh, a good example is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You know, when they go to the supercomputer at the very end to ask the big question, what is the meaning of life? And this computer, you think, oh, it's going to be so reliable with the answer it gives, shows that it is still prone to error. And the answer it gives is still bound to error. And that's actually something kind of even going further is something to think about as well with just AIs. You want to do another one? I okay. got time. Okay. I'm down. We, just... that, we didn't take too long on that one. So that oh, okay. All right. All right. Let's do one more. One more. There we go. One more. Yeah. All right. We got worst Robert Rodriguez movie. Oh, well, <laughs> okay. Great. All right. So, uh, uh, Alex, well, let you go first then. Out of, out of the ones you've seen or the ones that you haven't seen, I because it's a grab bag episode, anything goes, you can say whatever the hell you want. Probably Spy Kids 4D. Mm -hmm. Like, why? Why, <laughs> why did he keep going? Because he had a budget, he got the actors, and he had a green screen room, and he just went to town with it. Oh. I'll, I'll admit, I haven't seen Spy Kids 4D either, but I started watching it a while back, and I just turned it off. I was like, nope, not today. <laughs> not in the mood for this right now. <laughs> uh. I need to go back and finish it, though. I, I've seen the first three Spy Kids. And it's diminishing returns. I absolutely love the first Spy Kids, but uh, each one gets kind of consecutively worse. Spy Kids 2 is okay. Spy Kids 3D is pretty bad, but it's entertainingly bad. <laughs> okay. I think I think out of the ones that I have seen, you know, Shark Boy and Lava Girl is probably the worst. Not probably, yeah, it's... It's pretty worst. bad. Yeah. I guess I, I would have to say I remember the faculty. I was not a huge fan of that. I mean, there's a lot of famous you know actors in it, but th there's just I kind of was I didn't care for it at all. Yeah, I am. I don't mind the faculty actually. I mean, it, it's it's nowhere near my favorite Rodriguez movie. It's probably it's probably middle Rodriguez for me. I uh, I, I I enjoy it just fine. I think I saw it for the first time a few years ago. Yeah, and maybe that's the right home about. But it's a it's a for me it was like a fun little 
B movie. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the problem is because I I did I saw it like later on in my life and I was a teenager and I don't know there's something about I was like I don't believe any of this. Yeah, I'm a <laughs> I teenager. I don't believe this this crazy stuff is happening at this yeah. school. Yeah, this is this is what is this? Um, this isn't realistic. I I can't handle this. I'm gonna go back to watching my Robert Bresson films. <laughs> That's his, that's the real pushes deal right up, there. Uh, pushes up uh, uh, film snob glasses. <laughs> Jeez, uh, I, I actually did. I did not care for Sin City, a Dame to Kill for. That was, I mean, the the first Sin City was good. I think the second one just it shouldn't have been made. Honestly, I, I honestly rank both Sin Cities around the same as in yeah they're pretty good uh sim city 2 is a little bit below sim city 1 but uh it, it, those movies didn't really do a whole lot for me I, I, and i i i say this as a big fan of robert rodriguez i love some of his stuff mm -hmm. uh the sim city movies which i know a lot of people love just didn't really yeah, a, yeah they're fine they're good they're, they're good movies yeah i uh, i guess like just oh something about the first sim city movie that i thought just was groundbreaking those it was like that first like you know Zack Snyder, you know, comic book, you know, attempt where it's like everything is so overly stylized and lit in a way to make it look like a comic book. And I guess just the commitment to that is something I, I admired about it. Whereas like for uh, Sin City, Damon to Kill For, it just it brought nothing new to the table. For my two cents, worst Robert Rodriguez movie is hands down The Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Oh, yeah. Uh, that movie, it's I enjoy the conceit behind it, which is the idea that it, I, I think it was a story that his kids told him and he said, hey, just make a story. We'll put it in a movie. And it's, they did that. Like the movie feels like that. Yeah. That doesn't make a good movie. No. But, but on top of that, though, I mean, if, if that was it, I could enjoy making the movie if it was well made. But the movie just goes all in on everything I think a lot of people today associate with Robert Rodriguez, which is crummy cg tons of green screen cartoony stuff you know the stuff that he started in spike yeah. is and just slowly degraded down mm -hmm. to uh, shark boy and lava girl which is where it feels so artificial that it's difficult to latch on to anything the the, the the effects don't live up to you know even 2005 that's when it came out 2005 standards i know it's but that kind of goes back to you know what robert rodriguez everyone knows robert rodriguez for is, is he's just one of those running gun one man crew kind of guys you know he's got kind of, yeah him. yeah but it's like you know that that this is this is a good example of where you see the flaws of that kind of filmmaking style like it worked really well for like his early days when he would do the shorts and do the El Mariachi, you know, trilogy. And it worked for that. But then you kind of like get into this, you know, the CGI and the green screen. And then you really start seeing those flaws really poke through. And maybe when I was going to see Alita, that was like the one concern I had. But it was also the stuff I knew that I'm going to have fun watching because he, I think he's very aware that he doesn't do CGI really well. And he just still has fun with it. That's why he had James Cameron uh, to get his back for that. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let go of your life. Ride his pulse and you'll forget. Slow down, your time will come. If not tonight, shut above the dawn. Just take it like a man. Strange.
let's let you you know what you know what we've got a couple minutes left let's 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 go ahead and quickly go with um uh best robert rodriguez movie also just to you know end on on like a positive Mm. note on him okay first off i want to say spy kids for me is like a five star is it not like a five it's a five star movie spy kids is a modern uh children's movie classic And I remember watching it as a kid, absolutely loving it. I watched it when uh, when I was in college again. I rewatched it, and it's it, it's it's still great for adults. Like it, it's entertaining for adults, but it, it doesn't hold up to adult scrutiny as well. But I know what it feels like to watch it for the target audience, mm-hmm. and I think that movie works expertly. But if I had to go with best Rodriguez movie, just having rewatched it recently, I'd probably put Desperado at number one yeah. right now. Yeah. which I think is the peak example of Robert Rodriguez running on all four cylinders with his editing, his cinematography, his sound effects, just everything in that movie works so well. It's, it's, it, I would say it even rivals the best Edgar Wright stuff, uh, mm-hmm. that stuff in Desperado specifically. And it's mm-hmm. all in service of making Antonio Banderas shoot all the guns and kill all <laughs> the bad guys. And it's, it's an incredibly well-made, fun movie. But uh, uh, next to Desperado, very close second from Dust Till Dawn, mm-hmm. which is just peak cult movie, just yep. right there. Yeah, was, that, was, that was actually going to be my number one choice is like my favorite Robert Rodriguez film, like his best work is that movie just because of, of the tone shift halfway through, like the very first part of it, you can definitely tell tarantino was just going to town with like building the characters up with the story and then at that halfway point everything goes crazy when they go to the club and it just becomes this whole like shoot 'em up vampire fest it's it's amazing but you see everything that robert Rodriguez is good at in that movie and just not only just building good tension between actors but then also just really just having a lot of fun with just those you know finale scenes yeah absolutely alex uh i'd say probably probably sin city sin city over spy kids shed a tear you did not like spy kids I alex what, no like it's weird it's i think it's really weird now when i watched it as, as like a kid i thought it was really weird then I've never really been that big of a fan of the movie. It's nah. just oh, it's, a, it's a weird movie. I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah, because uh, I, I like like I remember being a kid watching that opening sequence where he's telling the story of his marriage, and I just as a kid I'm like, I'm in all all my kid money. Here you go, give me this movie. It's this this, this adventure comedy action spy movie. <laughs> uh, I'll, go, yeah, I'll take Sin City over, over Spy Kids any day of the week, man. All right, all right, fair enough, fair enough. Alrighty, I think that that'll that'll wrap us up then. That's right, just around ten minutes there. That'll wrap us up with our special Oscar episode of the Domo Literates podcast. Um, I'm gonna keep this box around. I'll just keep adding stuff to it as I think of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, who knows? Next time we need a we need an emergency topic. We'll go. We'll dive in here again. This is our our in in case of emergency break glass. <laughs> uh anyway uh nate where can people find you well as always you can find me here at the podcast for film illiterates you can also check me out on instagram at nathan stone films or you know what don't follow me on facebook i don't want you guys stalking me as an option yeah you people are gonna do now they're gonna surge surge your your yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, Alex, where can people find you? Um, 
You can obviously find me here. But you can also... <laughs> here. Find me right here. Not there, just here. Where is um, here, Alex? Filmliterates.com. <laughs> there um, we go. There's the plug. I'm also on uh, Rate Your Music under the username Half Scrim. Um, you can find me on Letterbox. I I don't even know how you search for people on that. I, Alex Patton or Half Scrim. I don't even remember. Uh, one of those. And then... You can find me on Twitter at Alex D. Patton. I don't really tweet much, but you can follow me there if you want. Why? Why do you keep promoting your your Twitter account at, at these? <laughs> Dude, I don't even know. It's it's something that I have that I can promote that's like open and public. I I mean, my Twitter is just like retweeting game stuff. So if you want to know what games I'm interested in, sure. Sometimes I post highlights of me playing Destiny on there. So go for it, man. Yeah. Go for it. Hit up Go Alex on, on, on Twitter and <laughs> where he won't see it. <laughs> uh, and you can find me uh, on, on Twitter at Film Illiterates. Uh, I, I'm also on Letterboxd. You can find me at Film-Illiterate or just if you, if you search Film Illiterates on Letterboxd, I'll probably be the first thing that pops up on there. And of course, you can find me along with our charming co-hosts, uh, Nate and Alex, today at filmliterates.com. We can find more videos, podcast episodes, and all sorts of good, I mean, mediocre, whatever stuff. Are we going to be getting any more videos in the near future, Joe? We are, and I plugged it on the last one, and that's the one I'm still working on right now, and it should be out by the end of February. Okay. There, I'm holding myself to a, a um, an ultimatum there, a deadline. So, yeah, so it's not just podcasts that we're doing. We got videos coming. We got, we got videos, yeah, yeah, yeah. And look up at our, our backlog of hot takes. Um, mm-hmm. Watch our review of Repo Man if you want to get angry. <laughs> i can't like there was like one commenter who got like really angry with you we guys got so much hate for that video <laughs> and i can't say it's unearned um but that was like the first film like you guys decided to do right that was, it, like, that it was early it was early in there our first video was falling oh, down yeah. oh yeah that's right yeah it was, it feels like a second it's been so long though it's like you guys like start yeah. doing these way way back in what 2000 14 something like that yeah. that's five years ago already it's it's the internet there is no forgiveness no forgiveness no. at all <laughs> all right so uh everybody keep watching movies if, and if not just hear us talk about movies mm-hmm. that's that was a great slogan i just popped out of my head and yep. you you killed it already i it's killed it, it. yeah you, you the, the steam's gone <laughs> keep it easy mm-hmm.